Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. I'm Rick Wolfel. Like most golf course superintendents, Sally Jones has a lot on her plate. She's been in charge of the turf at Benson Golf Club in Benson, Minnesota since 2003. Since 2016, she's also been the club's general manager. At one point in Jones' career, the demands of her job led to issues with anxiety and depression. The story of how she dealt with those issues is one of inspiration and courage. We're honored to help Sally Jones share her story on this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. Sally, welcome to Wonderful Women of Golf. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for making the time today. Uh, thanks for having me on here. How did you make your way to Benson, Minnesota? You've had uh, a long and varied career. So where I'd like to start is um, how you got introduced to the turf industry and developed uh, your passion for it. Benson, Minnesota is my hometown. This is uh, the home course that I grew up on. This is where I had my first job. And um, I just started uh, playing a lot of golf out here. And they eventually asked me if I uh, would like to pick the range. So I started picking the range and then it eventually evolved on to mowing um, out on the course and stuff like that. And then when I was about a junior in high school, I was supposed to do uh, research on a career for an upcoming career fair. And um, I just figured, why not check out this industry? I don't know much about it, but um, I do enjoy getting up, going to work, and it's not a bad job. So I kind of started looking into it. And then I kind of found some resistance. There wasn't a lot of people who knew a lot about the career when I would call colleges and stuff. Uh, the superintendent that I worked for at the time, he um, that I uh, uh, researched a little bit. And ultimately, I chose Penn State because that was the one that was farthest away from here, from home. So I uh, went there. Um, did a couple internships uh, in Colorado and Minnesota, worked at the Penn State Nittany course, which is no longer there for a couple of years. And then I came back to Minnesota after I graduated, uh, worked at a private country club before I came back to my hometown as superintendent. Having the opportunity to go to Penn State, which is one of the finest turf grass institutions in the country, how did that wet your enthusiasm, if you will, for making this your career? There were a lot of opportunities that were brought to me while I was there. Um, you can go in and at that time it was a binder. You sat in the turf room and you looked through a binder of, in, of internships um, that were uh, offered to uh, us turf students and that uh, ultimately got me to Colorado. Just the excitement of the other, of my uh, peers in the in the industry or in my classes kind of helped me uh, grow more excitement for the industry. You've been back at your home club since 2003 as the superintendent, since 2016 mm -hmm. as the GM. 
I'm going to ask you to provide an overview of all that your responsibilities entail, even by the standards of the profession. It's a pretty extensive list. I am ran by a board of directors and we have a volunteer who does, we call him the treasurer and uh, he'll do uh, paying the bills and stuff, but I'm the one that submits them and gets them ready and works on the budget. We are a smaller course, so I fill in wherever's needed. If we're well staffed, ultimately I get to spend most of my days out on the course, um, but there's times where I'll have to fill in in the clubhouse and I have filled in on the beer cart, which is not where I am good at, but I will do it if I need to. So yeah, pretty much anything out here. The expectations of a superintendent or on a superintendent from your customers, because you are a public facility and from your members are always quite high. It puts a lot of pressure, a lot of stress on, on a superintendent. It comes with the job. You have been quite open about having to deal with with some of those challenges. When did you first become aware of the idea that the pressures on you were mounting up a little bit? I think for many years, uh, which was my first initial problem was I was in denial. I mean, it took me many years of sitting with high anxiety and depression before I realized that this is real and this is something that really can affect a person mentally and physically. And I think the first time that I had my uh, rude awakening was when I was admitted into a mental ward uh, for an entire week where I had to sit and reflect what was going on with my life and I, I realized that stress put me there and um, living up to other people's expectations. So that was about um, seven years ago when I was sitting in there and I had my realization. So in my mid-30s. Superintendents put so much pressure on themselves that it's difficult to live up to their own expectations, let alone the expectations of other people. Were there certain situations where that stress became more pronounced, where certain expectations you just found overwhelming? Yeah, there's a lot of expectations. I know that uh, in particular, one day, um, my president came up to me and um, he didn't think that our greens were rolling as fast as the neighboring course. And although that is subjective, it is also an opinion of my direct superior. So rather than going home, I mean, this was quitting time when he came to me, I went out, lowered the height of cut, and I went out and mowed greens that night and got them down. And then we mowed them again in the morning. And um, I feel like now I would have said, yep, I'll get it done by tomorrow, where back then it was, nope, I have to stay here. I have to do what I do need to do. And I spent way more hours here than I do today. One of the issues that surrounds mental health challenges is there is still a stigma attached to it as though mental health issues were not 
legitimate because you can't see them, feel them. Was that something of an issue for you to acknowledge the fact that this is a real issue? I think so, a lot of that stigma is gone now, but even a few years ago, it was more pronounced than it is today. Yeah, it was hard for me to um, accept in myself. And then um, it was even harder to sit and try to educate my board after I returned from my uh, time off that I needed that summer. It was the middle of the summer and I needed to be taking care of myself. And after I'd taken the time away, um, we had to have that tough, tough conversation with my board of directors who all you could tell weren't all t entirely on board. It was apparent they didn't want me to leave, but they weren't quite sure how to proceed. Um, we didn't have any kind of protocol uh, for uh, a leave of absence such as this. So they treated it as if it was a sick leave, which is ultimately the way it should have been. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it is difficult. And um, in a society where people have been taught that they just bury their feelings and they just work right through them, it's tough to sit back and be like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, give up all of my time to work for you when I need to have the time off for myself, which is now we have the agreement that I do have some time to myself and that is a good understanding between me and my membership, I feel. Um, there are some that are still uh, have the mentality, we pay you to be here. That's difficult to overcome that type of stereotype, but ultimately the agreement has been between me and my board of directors and I'm working as their expectations as we have set up after all of that has happened. You speak about stereotypes. Perhaps this podcast will help in knocking some of those stereotypes down. What comes to mind is dealing with mental health issues, anxiety, depression, and all that goes with it. And someone very knowledgeable in the field told me one day that she has never seen one without the other being part of it. But it's challenging enough to take on these problems and share them with your husband, share them with a therapist. Having to share them with a board of directors, people that are responsible ultimately for hiring you and paying you that had to be an immense challenge. Yeah, that and, and it happened, it was difficult. And it happened at a time where I, it was very difficult to stand up for myself at that time because I just felt completely, um, I was broken. I was at my worst in trying to fight for your job and to fight for your life. Um, and having to sit and and talk to people it's a very uncomfortable conversation and not only to the board of directors but i've also uh there were friends who absolutely did not want to discuss anything that i went through with me 
and you ultimately find out those who um, who are compassionate and who are able to listen and not necessarily have the deep conversations as if I would with my therapist or my husband, but um, you just kind of figure out that it is, you know, those people that are uncomfortable talking about it. You mentioned your husband, you also have two children. So how did all this impact your relationship with them and in total your life away from the golf course? You know, when all of this happened, my kids were at a very difficult age. Um, my job was very demanding. I worked a lot of hours. And then um, to go home with two kids under 10 um, who demanded a lot of time and then to have to um, dedicate time to a marriage also um, basically left no time for myself. Um, and so while I've gone through everything and worked through everything, um, I've realized that there are, I need to take that time for myself and whether it be, um, you know, for a while there, I was going to the gym and walking and just anything, just, I like to have some extracurricular activities and we enjoy, uh, camping as well, but, um, now I take time for my kids and their sports and uh, we we do do camping now and that is my time away from the course is my time away and um, my employees do know that if there is an emergency they by by all means can contact me but I do I need to have that clean break between work and home life. What was your lowest point? And you and I talked about this a little bit when we were setting up this interview, this podcast. What was your lowest point when you perhaps felt you couldn't go on any further? My my lowest point was where I uh, felt that there was definitely no need for me to continue on in life. Um, I felt like uh, I had failed my marriage um, and I had, I was consuming a lot of alcohol and I had also found um, prescription drugs were uh, just took the edge off a little bit. And in those, I was in denial I, I believed that I was taking those to self-medicate because I knew that if I would take any kind of anxiety or depression drugs, they would take me down um, all the time. I would always be um, under the influence of those where alcohol, I could be on my game at work and then go home and then consume a lot of alcohol and self-medicate that way and then get up and go to the next day. Um, ultimately, I realized that that was a lie, that the the alternative uh, medication that, that was well-prescribed is ultimately the the route I need to take. But um, yeah, I, I really was in a bad place. I was no longer willing to continue on in life and 
what made me come out of it was um, I had decided if I would come clean to my husband, how bad I am, he could move on and he could uh, marry someone else who could make him happier than what I could. And so I thought that by letting him go, um, that he, he would be better off. And I didn't really look at it as then he can help me. And what had happened was he turned around and he said, um, I'm taking care of you. We're going to work on our marriage after this. Um, we are all taking care of you and making sure that you get what you need. And I feel like if it wasn't for him and his support and my my family, my parents too, um, I probably would have, it probably would have been a terrible ending. Apart from your husband's support, the support that you get from your professional peers and you have worked the U.S. Women's Open the last couple of years and what I've noticed over the course of doing this series is the women in the industry formally and informally have formed this huge all-encompassing support group not just to assist each other with professional issues, but also personal things that only someone in the industry can fully appreciate. And I know it's meant a lot to a lot of people, but I'm going to have you expound on that for a few minutes as far as what it has meant to you to have that support network beside you and behind you as you've been going through all this. Yeah, the the women in TERF have been a huge help for me uh, professionally, but more most importantly, personally. Um, back in 2019, um, that was the first event that Bayer held um, down in North Carolina. And that was, had been the first time that I had ever had the opportunity to be in a room with more than just a handful of females within our profession. I didn't really, um, you know, I, I was honored to be part of it. I didn't think that I would be, um, I didn't think I would get it, um, get to be a part of it at all, but um, I had no idea the impact that that event would be. It was moving, it was inspirational, and it was overwhelmingly a positive influence for me that came at just, a perfect time. I had gone through therapy for a little over a year and um, I had decided that um, I needed to start working on myself before so I could take care of my family and to have these this group of women sitting in front of me offering their support, offering, you know, um, the friendship that we formed uh, was so overwhelming and and the way we've been able to to build on that with going to the US Women's Open and then all of the different media that we've been able to keep in touch even through phone calls, emails, text messages um 
I, you know, people have asked for us to put into words the the feelings that we get from there, and there, I just don't know how to describe it actually. Um, but the support group has been overwhelmingly uh, amazing, and I am blessed that I have had the opportunity to meet all of those women. We had the opportunity to visit with Jennifer Torres not long ago for this series, and we've interviewed Jennifer several times. And she had the same thoughts about the most recent uh, Women's Open <clears throat> and just the opportunity to sit around and talk to one another outside the normal or the structured meetings or outside the workday but just being able to sit around after hours and share things with each other. She found that uh, invaluable. And I think the 30 of you who were there would all say the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean that group of women, um, every time, every group that I've been a part of has been so therapeutic and uh, rejuvenates myself and gets me more excited. Every time I go to something, it gets me even more excited about my career in this industry. And uh, I, I wish everybody, male or female, could experience something like that to keep them going. Looking back on this now, and obviously therapy and recovery is an ongoing process, but how meaningful and satisfying is it to you that you've been able to work through all this and make the kind of progress that not everybody does. Now, not everybody that deals with depression ends up taking their own life, but getting to the point or continuing to the point where you can maintain a family, maintain your job and career, that takes a lot of effort a lot of dedication and frankly, a lot of gumption. So I would hope you would take considerable satisfaction in that. I feel like uh, everything that I've gone through, that is the best thing that I've done in my life. Admitting how bad I was to my husband is the best thing I've done in my life. Where I'd like to close this is have you passed some wisdom along to those who may be struggling with mental health issues. The temptation is there to keep it to yourself or think I can work through this. It's not that bad. And that way of thinking can be very dangerous. As you know, mm -hmm. the importance of having someone to reach out to or finding someone to reach out to cannot be overstated. No, um, yeah, it like I said, it's it's hard to find someone who's willing to speak about it. Um, but you know, outside, there are professional uh, hotlines that you can call, and there are um, a therapist. I went through numerous therapists before I found um, the right one for me, and I was. I went for a couple of years and um, we have left it to where um, it's something that I can come back whenever I need to. 
But I feel like anybody who who is struggling, they need to realize that they're not alone. And to be able to sit back and realize what they're feeling and what they're feeling today won't be what they're feeling tomorrow. And it does get better. But while you're, when you're sitting in the deep and dark of it, it's it feels like there's nothing else uh, is possible. There's no other solution, but there is. Um, one of the biggest things that what I has helped me is to live in the moment, um, to sit back and think about what was in the past. Um, that's depression and anything to worry about the future, that's anxiety. And so just to stay in the present um, is what I need to do. And I plan ahead. Yeah, you could do that, but also don't let it consume you and, and make you worry to where it is. So anybody that's dealing with it, I hope that you find, find the help that you need because you're not alone in this at all. Sally, I can't thank you enough for being willing to join me on this podcast and being willing to speak about all these issues. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that our conversation today is going to have a positive impact on an awful lot of people within the turf industry and outside the industry. So thank you very much for making the time and having the courage to speak about all these issues. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for opening it up and hopefully, um, Hopefully we do touch at least someone. Sally Jones, my guest on this very special edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. My name is Rick Wolfel. We thank all of you, as always, for joining us and invite you to join us next time.